Mm -hmm. And Gurmash, are you there? I'm here. Okay, good. There you are. <laughs> so we're turning this over to you today for your very auspicious happy birthday, appearance day. And thank you for being with us. And um, you're going to give a special talk. Um, and you'll let us know what that's all about. Well, I don't really have a talk uh, planned, um, okay. um, per se, but the um, Manabamara suggested that this would be a good opportunity, given um, that we have a call every Sunday, and that this uh, Sunday happens to correspond with this particular uh, day prior to Gorponim, which uh, corresponds with... Uh, my birth in the world um, to uh, take advantage of that and um, give the devotees who aren't with me um, an opportunity to hear from me on this day. So it was his idea. But as I said, I don't have any talk per se uh, planned. I suppose I can say something about. Guru Tattva, you would probably like to hear something about my personal life, memories for which are, as they say at this point, longer than the road that lies ahead. <laughs> so um, I'm 71, and um, This should be the last uh, quarter of, of my life, and I am adjusting my life accordingly and taking advantage of those uh, memories and um, opportunities that they present um, to, to learn from. And um, um, but of course, those mistakes, we, they're, they're only as bad as we don't learn from them. Otherwise, they're really just learning opportunities that we find ourselves in by Krishna's grace. So, um, of course, the subject of a guru is, is a big subject in, in Godi Vaishnavism, in which, for example, as opposed to many other uh, traditions, there are a plurality of gurus or types of gurus, just leave it to Gaudiya Vaishnavism to complicate any particular issue. Um, so there are Vartma production gurus, Siksha gurus, Diksha gurus, Sanyas gurus, Ragmarg gurus, uh, gurus who are uh, uh, Shastra gurus, previous gurus, present gurus, and there should be future gurus as well. So, uh, many types of gurus, uh, but they all um, collectively um, are mediums to which the same purpose is served, ultimately, that we are taught about uh, the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, both by precept and, uh, and by example. Um, these days, it's, uh, it's common in my experience to hear uh, questions like, what does it mean to have a relationship with the guru? Um, I think that that is uh, somewhat uh, arises out of very word relationship, which is which has become a big um, word, um, uh, and, and and you know, rightfully so. For example, in a marital uh, relationship, it's a relationship. Um, it's not just a one-way uh, street. Woman does what man says. Something like that. Uh, um, so, you know, that, that previous notion has kind of been ex exploded 
and um, and so this word relationship has become a bigger um, word, so to speak, than it, than it, than it was in, in, in the past. And so I get that kind of a question sometimes. Um, and I've answered it in different ways, but um, the way in which Prabhupada answered it without having been directly asked um, in those particular terms, um, he had uh, many years ago decided at a certain point to give initiation to some of his students. And they ask, what does that mean? So basically it's the same question. And some of you may know that he answered that the guru is as good as God. That's how he answered the question. And then he walked out and some people dropped out at that point. And some stayed on and of course took initiation the next day. So what's the relationship with the guru? One could say it's to do what he says. And um, we may want more than that of an answer, if you will, but that's properly understood, that's pretty big. Um, because he or she is going to um, tell us what's best for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a nice book. Um, it's probably the best of its of its uh, genre that I've seen. That um, was published uh, kind of out of the mainstream by a disciple of Bhakti Balabhadra Maharaj who Bhakti Balabhatirtha Marsh, who used to, um, who saw uh, Bhakti Pamod Puri Goswami Marsh as his Siksha Guru. Bhakti Balabhatirtha Marsh is a disciple of Madhav Maharaj and Pamod Puri Goswami Marsh was his god brother who uh, lived with him for some time after the passing of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, who was their guru. So uh, they were god brothers, Madhav Maharaj, Puri Maharaj, Sridhar Maharaj, uh, my Prabhupada, they were all god brothers. And um, Puri Maharaj, Pramod Puri Maharaj, was uh, after the disappearance of Bhakti Siddhanta, he lived quite some time in Madhav Maharaj's mission. So he knew Balabhatirtha Maharaj growing up as a sadhaka and so forth. And um, when he became a sannyasi and he became the successor of the mission of Madhav Maharaj, he always had great respect for Puri Goswami Maharaj and um, on his request, Puri Maharaj Goswami's request, Balabhatirtha Maharaj came to the West, came to America, he visited us here at Aurya at one point um, at, uh, at my invitation. He's passed on from the world now, of course, too, but he would be a, a spiritual cousin of mine, if you will. Um, but anyway, um, um, out of the mainstream of Puri Goswami Maharaj's mission, um, I know her by the name Ruchira. Um, I forget her initiated name, but she's a Bengali devotee and a scientist living here in the West. Wrote, she wrote a biography of Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj. And I wasn't really aware of that, but um, someone acquired it here. It was in the ashram and Bernarani recently found it. It's quite a good... Um, uh, book, uh, in my opinion, the best that I've seen of its genre, uh, genre being a biography of of, of, of one's one's guru. Uh, of course, I knew Puri Maharaj personally and served him, um, and and was successful in bringing some disciples to him after the passing of uh, Pujapatrida Maharaj, who uh, which, which is at whose moth I met Puri Goswami Marsh used to come there annually at the, uh, on this particular day, the Vyasa Puja of Sridhar Marsh and pay homage to Sridhar Marsh, who we also considered as his Siksha Guru. So after the passing of Sridhar Marsh, I had the good fortune of coming under um, his, uh, Puri Marsh's blessing. So anyway, it's a very nice um, uh, biography that she's done. Um, 
um, and as I say, the best uh, that I've seen in that uh, genre, so I would recommend it. And um, and uh, and Puri Marsh um, uh, speaks candidly in the book about being a disciple and also about um, about having disciples. And um, it's apparent from his own embrace of the real import of being a disciple and having a appropriate relationship with the guru of really giving oneself over entirely at his or her disposal with the understanding that the guru has in mind only our um, uh, best, best interest. We unfortunately often don't have our best interest in mind, not that well understanding what our self really is and conflating it with the mind's desires and so forth and so on. Um, the whole idea, um, of course, of a relationship with the guru is, is, to, is to learn from him and see by his example how to perfect, in one sense, the practitioner's body. Hmm. Uh, we, we, we think in a certain way about our uh, bodily and psychological sense of self that we're uh, grounded in um, and other ideas of embodiment may seem far-fetched uh, given how grounded we are in uh, the human bodily conception of life. There, there, there's a lot of intellectual discourse about the nature of the body, uh, philosophical discourse, wide-ranging perspectives, all of which are unfortunately um, human-centric and grounded in the delimited physical uh, and psychological sense of self that we, that we find ourselves, whereas we find in Gaudi Vaishnavism different ideas of embodiment, the embodiment of the absolute truth, um, the, uh, um, the very personification of praying, of love, and uh, Sri Krishna, a transcendental body. He's described in the scriptures having some places having no body, and other places having an extraordinary body, um, the latter being more... Uh, um, the majority of the, of the statements, and thus the statements to the effect that he has no form are uh, understood by Gonavriti to be speaking about the fact that he has no form like ours, no, no, no flesh and blood or limited to, um, uh, or for, form that, in, that inhibits rather than and enhances in all respect the very form, expression of, um, of the object of love with whom we're in relationship to whom we can be ourselves an embodiment of love for the very form of praying. So uh, what's interesting, <laughs> as, as I'm saying, um, is that our present sense of, of self, our, our identity, largely arises out of how we interact with our sense, which the body is constituted of. They're both uh, knowledge acquiring senses through hearing, seeing, through tasting, and so forth. And, uh, and then there's the active senses, the legs, the arms, um, and, and so on. But basically the body is made up of, of senses, the sixth of which or the 11th of which, depending how you look at it, um, is, is, is the mind kind of the central computer of it all. And through our senses, we contact sense objects and we get impressions of mind from which um, that mind makes determinations. I like or I don't like good or bad, happy or sad, and so forth. And, and, and that's really our personality. That's what distinguishes us from from others, 
And so the idea, the very idea that the body that we have could be spiritualized, that might sound far-fetched to some people, some of a transubstantiation like we have in the, in the Catholic Church where the host of, of the wine and the bread becomes the body, the Christ becomes spiritual. So a kind of transubstantiation where the material body becomes spiritual. But the practical side of it is really that what we're taught and what we're shown by the example of the guru is how to interact with sense objects, which is what life's about, um, through our senses only for the pleasure of Krishna. Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevanam, Bhakti Ruchite. And this is Bhakti. So to, now you can imagine, that some of you may have the experience, if you've been applying yourself, which of course we should. If we have a good example, we have good teachings, and we have very generous teaching. I happen to be very generous in my own opinion, um, it, particularly in relation to students of mine, many of whom, the majority of whom come from um, uh, less than desirable uh, circumstances of previous involvement with, with bhakti in other traditions, with other teachers, and so on and so forth. So they're kind of damaged goods in some respect. Um, they've been mistaught about things, they've had bad examples, um, their faith is damaged and so on and so forth, often is the case. And I was asked by Puchpatrita Marshmai Sikshagur to do relief work and help those types of persons um, primarily, hmm, rather than to um, focus on bringing new people into the, into the tradition. So I've been doing that as, as many of you know, for many years, not that new people don't also come and I don't tender to them, but the majority of my students have had previous involvement that um, such that they have to be untaught certain things and retaught and, uh, and, um, and dealt with uh, gently and, and generously that their tender uh, faith in bhakti might uh, have an opportunity to grow and become strong. Um, and so that said, um, my generosity should uh, should not be taken um, advantage of. Uh, it's clear from the teachings, and I'm pretty good at articulating, explaining um, uh, the, the, the teachings, that what bhakti constitutes, while it requires only one's faith to be involved, that faith sometimes I often refer to as Shastriya Shraddha, it's faith in, in what bhakti is as explained from the sacred texts. And it's a whole lifestyle. It's not a part-time thing. It's said that bhakti frees one from karma. You may wonder, how am I freed from karma? You're probably not. Because you're probably not um, fully embracing the lifestyle of bhakti, which means, again, as I'm explaining, all of my senses are in touch with sense objects now only for the pleasure of Krishna. The point I was making is it's very reasonable to conclude that that would make a, a, a very big difference and a different personality would arise out of that in as much as our present personality, materially speaking, arises again out of our contact with sense objects through the senses from which we get impressions, the register on the mind, and which the mind reacts to as good or bad, happy or sad, I like or I don't like. Hmm? Some call it vikalpa, this kind of acceptance and rejection that then forms the personality that makes me different from another person. My likes may be different from your likes. My dislikes may be different from your dislikes and so forth. So if these same senses are applied in relation to sense objects only for the pleasure of the deity of Krishna, then it's quite understandable that a different personality will arise out of that. 
and that it will be a different body altogether, used entirely for a different purpose, the body only for the pleasure of Krishna, the mind only for the pleasure of Krishna. And of course, there's a huge variety of ways in which the, the body and mind can be engaged in Krishna's service. Rupa Goswami himself was given 64 angas or limbs of the body of bhakti that are some are verbal, some are mental, some are uh, physical, and anywhere in between that the entirety of our sensual life, if you will, can be um, um, engaged in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna. This will obviously have a very different effect than the effect of having our sense objects in touch with sense objects um, uh, for, uh, uh, for the pleasure of the mind, pleasure, pain. This all exists, of course, in the mind. Now we have a different idea, a spiritual idea to make a determination whether something's good or bad, happy or sad, and so on and so forth. So this is what bhakti really means to the guru, is, 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 is thought to embody um, this and set an example of this uh, for us, an example that we are to follow. Hmm? Sadhana bhakti is, of course, the bhakti in practice, so in practice makes perfect, so there's going to be some ups and downs, and there is a stage in bhakti which we call anishta, which is unsteady, so it's, it's kind of a winding road. But, but it, to be on that course and be really in the school of shuddha bhakti, uttam bhakti, it means one is, it has to be constantly striving in spite of one's um, failing, for example, to employ the mind and senses in Krishna's sense objects at times to get up from that and continue, continue to try and to uproot. Faith is all that's required to tread the path of bhakti, but, but the path of bhakti involves not being uh, interested in um, material life. It's a transcendental path. So in the context of applying ourselves in bhakti, there's an uprooting hmm, that has to take place of our present um, situation. We have to move, so to speak. We have to change. Hmm. It's all about willingness to change and so forth. So it's, it's unfortunate when we come to good association and generous association and uh, good example and, uh, and teachings, and then fail to um, apply ourselves and understand what the relationship, if you will, with the, with the, with the guru is, and how his advice is, is in our interest, even if it pinches us. I can't remember how many times I've said in the past, if we don't feel the pinch, then we're probably not um, giving. It's actually a quote from Mother Teresa. So she got, I guess she got that that right. Hmm? There's the famous um, story, Govinda Bog, of the farmer who was uh, criticized by one of his workers that you grow so much wheat, but you never give any to Govinda, to Krishna. You don't make you're not religious. He said, what are you talking about? I give every day. Hmm? And he showed them. He pulled, picked some wheat flowers in the context of picking them. In the wind, some of the flowers were taken, and he said, Gominda Namaha. So he, those that were blown away beyond his control, nothing he could do about it, then he offered them to Govinda. Hmm? So we don't want to be like that. Hmm? We don't want to be a Dandavat disciple. Buddha Marshall made a nice point. He was very, very generous also, but it didn't mean that he didn't... Uh, have high expectations of his students. He said that, uh, and some of them come once a year in the mood of taking a vacation. This is not Guru Seva. Come to see me once a year in the mood is to have a vacation. I'm on vacation now. This is not Guru Seva. So it's serious uh, business if we want to take advantage of it um, and progress and 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 make a comprehensive solution, not to the world of problems, but to the fact that the world is the problem. I mean, this is the transcendental 
uh, perspective. We should try to live as simply as possible, keep with enough material uh, necessities to keep Prabhupada's language, body and soul together and apply ourselves fully in the transcendental uh, practice. If we want to be freed from karma, which is you know, basically what material life is about, we've taken and now we owe. There's a nice idea within Varnashram and our path transcends Varnashram. Within our Varnashram, for example, it's taught that householders, those who are working in the world, have to give in charity because they have, their life is, is one of taking. So if they're going to take within the realm of karma hmm, to provide and so forth and so on for their own families, then, then, then they need to be licensed in doing so. And the license is acquired. You have to pay for the license. There's a law in the Barnashram. It's not like if you would like to give, that would be nice. You have to give. It's not a mean statement because by saying that you have to give in the Barnashram, according to the karmic law, if you, if you, if, uh, by saying that you have to give, it's saying that it's implying that if you don't give, you will be paying more. The price will be greater. You're taking without license to take. Now there will be greater repercussions for that. Therefore, you must give. You must give. And of course, we're in the path of bhakti, so we're not following the path of karma. It transcends karma, but only as much as we apply ourselves fully in bhakti with earnestness on a regular basis to diminish our material necessities and not be ruled by our mind's demands, the demands of the world and sensual demands and so forth. It's a striving in the stage of sadhana, in the uh, this early stages of practice when the path is kind of, like I said, kind of uh, ups and downs, so to speak. Pujapatrita Marsh described it as a do or die approach. Hmm? To, to, uh, to, to the practice. There's a dying in that hmm, that we have to embrace. He used to s- cite my Siksha Guru, Puja Patshidamarsh, Hegel's term, die to live. He had, of course, his own interpretation of it. Um, but once we liked the term, one of my godbrothers put on his license plate of his Mercedes, die to live. It was a used Mercedes, but I saw it one day and I had to chuckle. Hmm? Pujapadshidamar said to us at one point, it's very poetic, but it's a difficult pill to swallow. Hmm? To give a death to the, to the ego. Hmm? Maybe you don't need a Mercedes to get around. Hmm? And put, and put I live on your license plate. Is, is, is not to have heard and understood what he said and meant and implied and was trying to generously impart to us when he would invoke such, um, such a phrase, die to live. So I wandered a bit there into Puri Marsh's book at first. Um, perhaps there was a particular point I was going to make, but, it's, but I, I don't recall if it's worth mentioning the book itself and a very nice example um, that he, uh, of saintly life that he sets there and discipleship that he um, sets there. There was a time when he was publishing, he was very much involved in the printing, which was a big um, uh, part of the Gaudiya mission of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. In those days, the the scriptures were typically uh, preserved in temples under the care of Brahmins who would teach them and so forth. And they weren't like thousands of editions collecting dust on people's shelves and so forth. Um, so after the passing of Bhakti Vinotaku, who was so uh, uh, proficient, I say, so, uh, he, 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 who had written so much poems, songs, theological books, 
philosophical books, um, even um, um, confessional, some confessional texts and so forth. Um, voluminous. I mean, he, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, a real waterfall of literature at the time, seeing the need for sikhshir in the community, for teaching in the community. Uh, accurately what, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about. So Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthitakur very much centered his mission on publishing and a lot of it was publishing the works of, of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Mm. Um, and so Purimarsh, Pramod Purimarsh was involved in the printing press, um, the publishing. He was an editor, he wrote many articles himself and so forth. And he was working all day long in the press and um, he was a Brahmachari, a celibate student from the very beginning, one of the earliest, earliest students of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Would sleep on the floor, um, ready to wake at any moment for the service of the Guru Marsh and the ashram and so forth. And he um, was working, as I say, at one point, full-time in, in the press. And the word came that his father was ill or something to that effect and and could not afford uh, uh, care or medicine, something to that effect. So news was given to him and he reported the news to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who considered to give him permission to take time off from the press to help his um, ailing father. But Purimar said, no, I will have to continue my service. And then after hours, I will get a job to do a little extra work to provide some um, help for that situation of my previous life that still remains somewhat um, in, the, in, in, the, in the present. So such an extraordinary example of what it means to be a student and, uh, and have a relationship, if you will, um, with the guru. It's not a part-time thing, really. And yes, it's said, whether you're a, a, a sannyasi living in the forest, a monk, or a householder, it doesn't matter. Using the phrase of Bhakti Nautakur himself, we say, it doesn't matter, householder or, or, or monastic. But the second part of the line is, it doesn't matter if in each situation, Grihe Tako, living Tako, as a householder, Bane Tako, or living in the forest, Sada Hadi Bole Dako. There's no difference if one's always engaged, or Sada Hadi Bole Dako, always chanting the name of Krishna, always applying ourselves in the Angas of Bhakti. It's obvious that if you fully apply yourself, your senses, to the Angas, the limbs of Bhakti, you will not be within the within the grasp of karma. Hmm? You wonder how it is. It seems like by following bhakti, I'll be free from karma. It seems like I'm not. You're probably not <laughs> because you're probably not. Um, um, your faith is, 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 is to tend, so to speak, hmm? to be able to um, um, express it. Hmm? in the form of sharanagati, the beginning of which is particular anukul, accepting what's favorable, rejecting what's unfavorable to bhakti. Mm. There's a whole new criterion of what's good and what's bad. Mm. So as much as we're able to live like that, much as we're able to apply ourselves like that, we're actually on the path of Shuddha bhakti. Except that we're not, we conceptually are on the path of Shuddha bhakti, but practically speaking, we're we're maybe doing karma, maybe the fruits of our karma we're giving to Krishna. Maybe not. Maybe we're chasing the fruits of karma more than we are the bhakti. So that's a problem that should be rectified. And it's something I want to focus on in the last quarter of my life in terms of emphasizing this to my students with whom I've been very uh, generous uh, for good reasons. I think it was necessary and so on and so forth. But um, Prabhupada used the analogy of boiling the milk. He thought it was time to do that in, in as early as 1975 in his mission. Mm -hmm. 
here it is, or extension of his mission in 2020. Of course, I have boiled the milk conceptually, I think, um, by terms of the, the, the plumbing the depths of the teaching, its implications, and so on and so forth. And I've set a good example of, of, of practice as well, but this practice has to be um, emphasized and brought into everyone's um, life with renewed uh, vigor. And uh, this is a good day to start um, asking the question yourself again, given that you have the answer now. Um, what does it mean to have a re relationship with the guru? Hmm? Um, it may seem limited, just do what he or she says, uh, but there's a wealth in that. There's a great wealth in that, in the wisdom of that um, advice and how it would benefit us in the long run, even when often, if not more often than not, in the short term, it will make us uncomfortable. Don't think that making progress will come without being uncomfortable. Don't think that good things, good ideas, and ideas of Krishna consciousness in the world will not give rise to a, a, a wide variety of obstacles. Any good undertaking will give rise to obstacles. Prabhupada used to say to me that if you're not, if you're preaching, if, if there's no complaints, you won't be, you're not really preaching. So we're here to bother her. I'm here to bother you all, that's the point. I'm here to trouble you all, to give you, give you some, 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 some difficulty that you may make uh, uh, progress, uh, tangible progress in this life. It's never too late but to pay attention and reapply ourselves. And often this is a day in which we do this on the day of the appearance of our Guru Day, but we remember yeah, we came into our life and, and we, we expressed sentiments and so on and so forth. And that's well and good. But these days are meant to be celebrated um, such that they carry us, that celebration carries us into the next day, the next day, three days, four days, five days in a week. Next year it carries us for two to two weeks, the same spirit hmm, that we woke up with on that day and conviction and sincerity and so forth, remembering how I met my guru, what it means and so forth and so on. And a third year, remember it for a month. And you know, the point is obviously that eventually that becomes an everyday experience. Every day, what it meant that, that these teachings have come in a particular way, in a custom way, in, in a form, because there are many gurus, many faces of the, uh, the tradition, if you will, that are really custom packages for different types of uh, individuals and so forth. So that Krishna has come to me in, the, in this way, that, that when he speaks, it as, as if, I, that's what I wanted to say, I, I, that I feel like that, I resonate with that. He can articulate it better than I could, but it's not a foreign imposition, it's, it's true. Hmm? We have to take that truth and we have to um, apply it. So I think it's worth emphasizing that on this point. I always approached uh, my own relationship with my gurus in that way from the very um, beginning. I unplugged myself entirely from material life and placed myself at the disposal of Srila Prabhupada. And with, with all of my limited and... Um, <laughs> qualities and abilities, I can tell you that I was quite limited and uneducated um, and, and unexperienced. Um, and I just placed myself at the feet of property, tried to understand what he wanted um, and, and um, to um, try to help him um, accomplish that. Um, someone but Manab Marsh wrote some biographical uh, kind of uh, glorification of me recently. It was published on The Harmonist. He was um, talking with a devotee named Satyaraj, who publishes a journal 
entitled the Journal of Vaishnav Studies. It's an academic journal. He was going to do an issue on unknown or less known Vaishnavas. So Padmanabh Marsh said he wanted to write something about me. Hmm. Of course, I knew that he wouldn't publish it. He would have some excuse. Um, but I thought it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nice idea in that typically, I think what would come to mind with that theme is Vaishnavas from the past who are unknown. The fact is that there are some who are less known, but they may be unknown today or less known in Bhakti Vinodhakura said it's a, it's a symptom of Kali Yuga that present day teachers will, will be less known and recognized well, the previous teachers will be, will be glorified, but they'll be lacking in the presence. So that's fairly, uh, fairly common. Um, what's the point? But um, uh, anyway, <laughs> I was. I said I was. I applied myself to uh, to, to Prabhupada's uh, uh, teachings and desires, whole, whole, wholeheartedly and unplugged from uh, material existence, and applied myself. And it wasn't. It was fruitful. It was very, 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 very fruitful. Um, um, certain things I did, I would have done differently. I was saying Padmanabh published this article. And uh, it was published in The Harmonist. The author of the uh, editor of the journal decided not to publish it, which I, I knew he wouldn't. I told Padmanabharsh from the beginning that I suspected that. Um, I thought it was, would have been a good idea, not because of who I am, but because it would have been novel in terms of the theme, hmm, which typically would probably characterize or we, or we fill the articles about unknown Vaishnavas, less known Vaishnavas of the past. The fact that there could be less known Vaishnavas of the present who are doing something substantial in our midst and so forth that we're missing and not paying attention to was 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 a, was a worthy angle I thought of for for an article. But of course, he didn't he didn't publish it. Um, um, so anyway, he published it on the Harmonist, and then someone who has a sibling in our sangha apparently wrote a comment. And the comments come to the editors and they come to me as well and said, you probably won't publish this, but one it was, a, it was a, uh, and I won't give my name because I have a sibling in the Sangha and I don't want to get uh, that sibling in trouble hmm, by saying this. So he, uh, he or she wrote that, uh, that uh, in the past, uh, Swami Tripurari was distributing books in ISKCON and some of the ways in which devotees distributed books were left others questioning the morality of the mission. Mm -hmm. um, some of you who were involved in book distribution know how that you know, came to pass. There was, a, there was a context to that and so forth where we sometimes sold books and, and, uh, and, and and, and exchange for money uh, and so forth. And um, um, sometimes it wasn't so upfront, could you give a little more and, you know, and, and so on and so forth that uh, even in, in, in a number of instances brought the morality of the transaction in, into question, right? Um, so this person brought this up. Um, and said, you probably won't publish this, but uh, maybe this should have been, you know, brought out in the, in the hagiography of the Swami, <laughs> something that happened, of course, half a century ago um, in the early, early days of, of, of ISKCON. Um, so I took trouble to write back to the person. I didn't publish it because they didn't want to have it published because they thought their sibling who was apparently a member of our Sangha might get in trouble. Um, the person who wrote it would probably get in trouble with the sibling, but the sibling wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> and she or she could probably give as good of an answer as I could to the question. He said that, he said that his grandmother had met uh, a devotee who sold a book and, um, 
and stole a $5 bill and ran away with it, which is something, of course, we didn't do. We didn't teach that. Um, 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 but then he said his grandmother uh, found that I was found that I was responsible for that, and therefore rejected Gaudi Vaishnavism. So um, it, it was uh, interesting to see. <laughs> it was a nice article that Padmanabh Marsh wrote. It's published on the Harmonist. I think it must be there today. You can read it. For someone to bring up that point, there are many ways in which one could respond. Of course, I responded that you know context was that we were taught that, the, that, that there's an absolute good that transcends the relative good, an absolute love that transcends the law. And uh, this should be applied, we were taught, um, uh, in relation to circulating the books, somehow or other, Prophet said, by hook or by crook, sell the book. Those were all words. Hmm? And that there would be benefit for persons who got the book in the beginning stages of the mission that exceeded the downside of any questionable, well, by hook or by crook, sell the book uh, technique, if you will. And we were, so you know, that came from Prabhupada, we were convinced about, about that. And I think that there was a lot of benefit to the crude people that would not have um, otherwise, had we not uh, taken that kind of literally, perhaps, which we, perhaps we shouldn't have. Um, um, and I, I readily admit that if I had to, it's it's easy to look back now and and, um, and question some of the practices. Uh, and if I, if I had to do, do it over, of course I'd probably do it differently. But we don't have that luxury. Excuse me for a minute. Here, of hindsight, it's a but oh, need to plug in this uh, machine here. Excuse me. Which required me to move. Hold on. Hold on. I'll be with you in a moment. up the background a bit, but um, I'm not sure how I segued into that uh, article of Padmanabh Maharaj, but let me use it to say that I'm not uh, without my faults, especially from my youth. Um, but um, in those days, anyway, upon joining, I had a conviction that this required some uprooting and full giving of one oneself, which, which we did some of which for me involved, of course. Uh, the way I spent my life um, in those early days of ISKCON and Prabhupada's presence was basically to, uh, to rise and chant and read and um, say something about myself personally. I started the idea for the most part of rising at 3 a.m. when our Mongol Arctic was at, was, was early enough at, at 4.30, which everyone would attend. But my idea was to get up at three and have chanted all of one's rounds for a couple of hours prior to the Mongol Arctic. And then after the Arctic, have time to read and chant before the class. Read and chant personally before the class was given. And then all day we would go out and talk to people about, about Krishna, about what was in the books and come back at night. And, and um, attend the Arctic in the class and, and then get together and read and sip some hot milk and take a rest. And some of you are nodding your heads. 
there that you were also part of that kind of, of, of lifestyle. Once a godbrother of mine named Rupanuga told me, you had to be very careful what you say. And I said, oh, okay. He said, because any, any brahmachari, whatever you say, they will do. Whatever you eat, they will eat. However, whatever direction you sleep, they will sleep. However you walk, they will walk, uh, and so forth. So uh, I got in that position just by, just by giving myself the Prabhupada. It's not something I desired or, or looked for, um, but it came naturally as a result of giving myself to Prabhupada. So I spent my life basically in, in, in these affairs of reading and chanting and then speaking about the, the, uh, what, was, what was there in the text and also worshiping of the worship of the of, of deity. These are all examples of what's called Sarup Siddha Bhakti. This kind of, this is Bhakti that is, is, is very potent and um, from which you can make the most progress. You should try to spend as much of your life as possible in these activities. We have to do some Arup Siddha Bhakti, um, like take a shower is not Bhakti, but it's karma. If it's not bhakti, it's karma, right? If it's action. But we take a shower to cleanse our practitioner's body to participate in, in Krishna's um, service. That's aropasiddha. That means we assign bhakti to the activity. And in and of itself is not bhakti, which is done for the purpose of bhakti. So we have to do some of that, but... but for the most part, we should try to live in in in, uh, in full engagement in Sangha Siddha Bhakti. And I've had the fortune to be able to do that for my whole life. I have to say, of course, when I when I separated from ISKCON by force of circumstances and started the mission of the blessings of Pujapatrita Marsh, I got in, had to get in, had to get involved in a few more um, things than just hearing and chanting. Um, uh, yeah. And, 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 and deity worship, a little bit of management, and which is not my forte, organization, purchasing of properties, and so on and so forth. Those aren't the bad things. They can be done for Krishna, and certainly they were, and so on. But at this point, um, you know, I, I, I've done that to some extent, and we have a, a nice group of, of devotees, and... Um, I said to myself, I, I think I mentioned it last year, so I was going to be semi-retired. So I mean, moving, moving more in that direction, which means that I simply preoccupy myself with hearing and chanting. And, uh, and of course, the writing um, is a replacement for going out and selling the books, writing books. And um, um, a nice situation here at Audaria, the help of Gurnisht and Brindaranya to be able to do that. And uh, I still plan to visit other places and so forth, but that's what you can ex- expect from me. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, this way, I, I've lived a blessed life, and uh, I hope to set a good example in the last quarter of it for all of you that you can really make some tangible uh, progress by um, continuing to hear from me and studying my own um, example. Um, again, uh, I was, uh, I'm a fortunate person, that's all I can say. I, when I was very young, before I joined the mission, the first time I um, understood, if you will, what religion was, I was brought up, brought up in a Catholic family, and I thought, oh, I guess that means you should come, I should become a priest. So I was kind of, a, kind of an all-in person, <laughs> uh, if you will, but I was disappointed by the example of the priests um, in high school, and so that set me for what was what I found to be uh, missing there. And by good fortune, I was able to meet uh, uh, Prabhupada, who, upon meeting, I met Prabhupada first in a dream before I had met him personally, and um, and I saw the dream play out years later in Prabhupada's presence, um, what had transpired in the dream transpired in, in, in waking time, some years later in his presence, um, um, 
it happened uh, what happened in the dream happened a few times with me <laughs> in his presence walking with him and um and then of course um uh, i joined the mission and after a traveling group of devotees i joined and then after three months Prabhupada came to los angeles just to give some history and i was fortunate to meet him there and he gave me initiation um and so forth and um now let's say, well, I guess I've already said, I kept myself uh, very much engaged in hearing and chanting practically exclusively. And uh, in due course, he passed. I met Pujapad Sridharmarsh, who was, a, was such a, uh, uh, a great uh, support, kind, generous, insightful. He asked me to do what I'm doing. So um, that's my relationship with my gurus. I do what they ask. <laughs> They do what they suggest. Prabhupada used to say that that my Guru Maharaj ordered me to print books and speak in English. If you look carefully at that, you'll see that he suggested it in a letter in response to Prabhupada asking for some service. If it would be good if if you if you get money, you could print books, it'd be good for you to speak in the English language. And Prabhupada took that as an order. And he he credited, attributed all of his success in his mission to that. Um, Having just followed that one order, we're fortunate sometimes to get so many orders. <laughs> we're unfortunate because we don't take up any of them or have to take up one or the other, and that becomes our better not to give an order almost. Then it becomes the opposite, it becomes an offense to the name. So I'm taking. My time, what I'm saying to you in the last quarter of my life, he, seriously, and as I explained, I, I think it's clear, I pretty much took my life, spiritual life, very seriously from, from the very beginning, from the early, from age 22, and prior to that, even in searching. So what it may mean now, with all that I know, all that I've experienced, all the memories that I have, what it would mean to take the last quarter of my life even more, more seriously. So I expect all of you, whatever period of life you're in, to take it. it, it the opportunity that Gaudi Vaishnavism constitutes and the extent that it's come before you through uh, my person and others, my, my teachers and so forth, uh, to uh, uh, take, 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 take it seriously and spend your time wisely make the changes that are necessary to, to make real and tangible spiritual progress. So those are my thoughts. Um, here I blabbed for a whole hour, so. Uh, that was absolutely wonderful. Really appreciated that talk a lot. We have time and we can question or answer. Anybody um, have a question that they would like to follow up to talk with? I would like to ask Guru Maharaj, um, do you have the title or the full author's name of that biography? I don't. Um, uh, let me see if I can get it. Hold on. Rindaranya! What's the title of Puri Maharaj's book? Can you bring me Puri Maharaj's book? Yeah. My able assistant here is bringing it. Thank you. See that? A life of devotion. Life of devotion, right. The holy biography of Om Vishnupachi Labhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj. One of the earliest disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsatyakar. He lived into maybe about 106, 108. Good question. Thank you. Another question? Who's the author? The author is Guru Maharaj. This is Mano Haridas. You mentioned that. You are taking care of a few um, damaged devotees, and I was wondering 
what should be your attitude towards those damaged devotees? Pardon me again? Can you say that again? I'm sorry. You said that you were taking care of a lot of damaged devotees as part of your mission. And I was wondering, how should we deal with those damaged devotees? Well, generously, as you've seen by my example, be generous. Supportive. Uh, sometimes um, their faith is damaged by the unfortunate experiences they've encountered and so forth. And um, they need friendship and support in terms of where they're at in general without stressing to them that, you know, they should continue the practice, they should find new leader, new, new guidance, and so on and so forth, which is true, the latter is true, but they may not be able to digest such type of instruction. So that's what I mean by being generous, giving people some time, uh, befriending them, um, simply empathizing with them, talking about something else with them so that they keep uh, friends uh, in camaraderie with persons like yourself, other devotees that, that, that they know that may be the best thing in some instances to help keep them within the kind of the ballpark of the good opportunity that's come before them that, that you know, they may not see as such because it's been misrepresented to them and, and so forth. So uh, just to be generous and you know, I mean, that's just a broad answer, but the, the, the question is one that doesn't, um, um, it, it can't be given you know, one size fits, fits all uh, specific would, in, a, in specific instances then you know I could give more specific advice but in general that's, that's my answer I have a question here from Jack Maharaj What's, what is Maharaj's suggestions for those of us who are completely new but desire to be his disciple sometime well, I, I, Jack uh, I think uh, that keep keep hearing, and um, as you have been, and questioning, and um, try to make a point to come to visit at some point. I, I'll be in the East Coast in the spring, in May, um, for a couple of weeks. That would be a good opportunity, and I do that again in the fall, since you're on the east uh, eastern side of of the states. Um, but I mean, joining these talks uh, is uh, part of that, and so forth. Acquaint yourself more with the, with the teachings as I as I teach them. Jack, I should introduce to you as a is a, is a priest in one of the Christian traditions, Orthodox traditions. Uh, forgive me, Jack. I forget exactly what tradition that is. And uh, he's been uh, in contact with me for quite some time now, over a year. Recently, uh, I was on a radio program. He um, does, I don't know how often the program is, but uh, broadcast to 106 different countries. And uh, he was the host asking questions. I was able to answer. Um, I think that was published on Facebook, uh, a link for that. So I want to follow up on that, but that, um, much appreciated that opportunity. Um, so you're doing the right things. Keep doing more of the same, I guess would be my answer to that. Anything else from anyone? All right, well, it's a little over time. So tomorrow then is the auspicious appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and at 4 p.m. Eastern time through this same um, format and media, I will be giving a discussion. Pardon me? Yeah, 4 p.m. your time. Um, he said Eastern, so 7 Eastern. It's start at 7 o'clock time, and I think at Madhavan it's uh, at uh, 5. So I thought those would be good times. Typically, that's a day of fasting, and then after the moon rises, Easting. One of the ways, one of the features of how they are celebrated. So, and the talk just before the breakfast for all of you. So, anyway, nice to be with you. I love you all. And, uh, oh.